Maybe we'll just warm things up a little around here. We're not getting out of here alive. But neither is that thing. Hello, hello, I'm Katie, and welcome to Retromade, your pop culture rewind. Let's take another trip down memory lane. Today, we travel back to June of 1982 to discuss Kurt's performance in a horror mystery, The Thing. I'm happy to have Zoe Richardson from his show, Backlook Cinema, here with me today. Zoe is a podcaster and a movie enthusiast, an artist who enjoys creating graphic art, a comic book lover from way back, a lover of sci-fi books, so hopefully he enjoyed the thing, the sci-fi nature of that, uh, also an insatiable video game player. And I was actually very honored to guest on Backlook Cinema a little while back, and we covered the super fun 85 movie that was Teen Wolf. And Zoe's actually um, just coming back from hiatus, and he will be back with new episodes uh, by the time this episode comes out. So so thank you so much for joining me. Tell us more about you and your show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I am in the process of retooling the show just slightly. And the way that I'm retooling it, actually, I've kind of been doing it already. So I want to focus on having guests on the show. So the goal is to have like a guest on every episode and uh, to focus on what we liked about the movie and the trivia, like I always do. But sometimes I feel like it runs too long. So I probably arrange it in such a way that I'll have three things that we liked about the movie and then like uh, 10 interesting things of trivia, like the top 10 trivia, well, trivia things that I found interesting about the movie. And it's like when you dig into the behind the scenes, you find a lot of interesting things. As a matter of fact, I was just reading that, I forgot his name, but the guy who played the shark hunter on Jaws, do you remember that dude? The shark hunter? Ooh. Oh, the guy yeah. from... The boat, right. So it was his boat. Quentin, I remember the name. Quentin. Of, yeah, yeah. Quentin. That's, yeah. So the guy, the, the, his son, that guy's son is actually doing a stage play of the behind the scenes shenanigans on Jaws. So, <laughs> oh my because, God. Right. So the trivia in movies is really interesting. And that's what, something I went to. I don't want that to be the focus of my podcast, but I want to highlight that on a podcast. And uh-huh. that those are some of the things that we're doing. That sounds really fun. I'm really excited for new episodes. So, well, shall we get into the retro frame of mind by opening the time capsule from June 1982? Okay, so the early 80s, we haven't covered a ton. And, you know, I was like a year, not quite even a year old at this time. So I don't recall a lot of these shows, but some in syndication. But it's kind of fun to go back to the early 80s. It's very different from the late 80s, I found. Uh, So according to Nielsen ratings from the 81 to 82 season, the popular primetime shows were Dallas, The Jeffersons, Three's Company, which I freaking love. I still watch that show. Alice, The Dukes of Hazzard, Too Close for Comfort, which I had never heard of that. Have you heard of Too Close for Comfort? Yeah, used to watch it all the time. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's about cartoonist and his family. And that's what I found so fascinating about the show. He wrote it, I think the name of his, it was like a daily strip in a newspaper. And I think the name of his strip was called The Cosmic Cow. And it's, it's not focused on that work, but it was just, 
is like in a plateau of like TV landscapes where you have the main characters as doctors, lawyers, or plumbers, or waitresses, or that sort of thing. This guy had a totally unusual lifestyle. He was a cartoonist, and that's how he supported his family. And I remember this one particular storyline where he had drawn the panels for the comic, and he was supposed to submit them to the newspaper for work, and somebody had destroyed the panels, and he had to draw them all over again. (laughs) So (laughs) That's very sitcom-y. That's super sitcom-y. I did yeah. read that was actually based. There was a British show, as we often do. We kind of imitate what the British do. But oh, interesting. So you've okay. I've never seen Too Close for Comfort. So that sounds like a yeah. good one. Mash. Did you watch Mash? Were you a Mash person? Yeah, I watched. I wa- I don't know if I was a Mash person. I knew that when the theme song came on, mm-hmm. it was time to go do something else. Me I was like, too. oh, my time for watching TV is over. And I Dang. watched some episodes. Sometimes it was like. I would watch it and I would enjoy it, but I wouldn't watch it on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> but it had it was such a draw to me that when the final episode aired, I had to watch the episode, like the series finale, and it was gripping. It was, was way it? more potent. Yeah. yeah, it was incredible. It was like because it was more dramatic. The season, mm-hmm. the series finale, mm-hmm. the one that ended the entire series. So this is when they had. Uh, it was a chaotic escape from Korea because this is a show about the Korean War. Mm-hmm. And it was hardly funny. It was so serious. Oh. And uh, it was about a lot of it covered like the post-traumatic stress that the, the doctors had gone through while they were in Korea. So it was incredible. I actually haven't seen it, but I have. Isn't it in like the records, like the most watched bit of TV yeah, ever or something like that? It's one of the most. Yeah, it's one of the most watched because it was a very popular show. So it was one of the most watched series finale uh, in history. Interesting. Huh. Okay. Also popular at this time was One Day at a Time and Archie Bunker's Place. So those were the top shows. Were you into the Dallas, like those, like the soap opera ones? Did you watch any of those Not, ever? That's one of those things where if I seen them, it's only because somebody else was watching. So my yeah. mom was watching or my grandpa, my grandparents are watching or something like that. I'm not watching it. It just yeah. happens to be on TV and I don't want to get up and go to my room. So I'm going to watch this. And I was, and I watched enough of it to get caught up in who shot Jr. But I couldn't tell you all of the characters in in Dallas or Falcon Crest or any of that. I just knew that they were on. Yeah. And I had to watch because they were watching it. The who shot Jr. That's how I. That's I've never seen Dallas, but I know it's so a part of pop culture that I know that's from Dallas. Yeah, it's right. a crazy town. And I never watched. So Three's Company and The Jeffersons are two shows that were super popular at this time that obviously I didn't watch when I was an infant. But those are two shows that have really found a place in syndication. They're both on all the time. And that's how I've seen those two. Yeah, it's funny with The Jeffersons. I used to always think that it was in syndication. I never knew that they were new episodes by the time. <laughs> or maybe it was because it was 1982. I think I, yeah. I was watching those shows like The Jeffersons forever. Mm-hmm. And Three's Company, that's a trip because you, people say things like, well, a show like that can't be made today. And I think a show can be made like that can be made today, but it'd be a lot of like pushback and controversy over that mm-hmm. show because it was like it was pushing against a lot of cultural taboos at that time. That's true. And so it was a uh, since it was and that's what made the show funny. It was um, it was basically based on the culture of the time on the time when they were uh, they would have female only housing. And, and the guys trying to, and there was another show like that starring Tom Hanks, uh, Booze and Buddies, but that's that, an older show. It and actually, these, it ended that the finale of that show is in 1982. Booze right. So yeah. Booze and Buddies is about guys cross-dressing so they can get affordable housing. 
Three's Company is about a guy pretending to be gay so he could live with two women so he could have affordable housing. So it's incredible. (laughs) What a time. What a time. And nobody, what's funny about that is nowadays people would be up in arms about like, like, people have a cow about stuff that like, be upset about real things. How about? Right. And here's the thing. They'll say, oh, they didn't do that back in my day. And I'm like, they were doing exactly that back in your day. Exactly. Exactly. There are so many examples of it. I know. I could uh, could go on. But yeah, let's see. So also what ended, it's interesting. Like I do feel older than I am because I remember watching reruns of WKRP in Cincinnati and that ended in 82. Like its finale was in 82. Like it ended in 82. That's crazy. Also ending in 82 was Mork and Mindy. And Laverne and Shirley, I, I'm very familiar with all of these shows. I never watched them, but obviously they ended, but, you know, basically when I was born. Yeah. I, I feel like I've watched all the sitcoms because most of the shows you named so far, I watched those. Oh, sitcom, <laughs> sitcoms are my jam because in the 80s. So do you have any guesses of some sitcoms that started in 82? Any no, guesses? not a clue. Well, you're I'm bad with it. time. Okay. Cheers started in 82 ah. family ties and silver spoons also night rider but it's not a sitcom but i feel like like this is kind of the advent of the ultimate sitcom decade you know like we're yeah. moving away from some of these like soaps and stuff like that yeah that's when they had must see i think i don't know if they called it must see tv but it was something about a thursday night uh, nbc had a slogan because they oh, had yeah. this thursday night lineup Everything. And, yeah, you're right. Oh, Thursdays were the best. Yeah. Yeah. That's when I think uh, the lineup was The Cosby Show, A Different World, Cheers, mm-hmm. and a couple other shows. I felt like I watched them all. <laughs> you have a really good memory. I, me too. Uh, most of the episodes I've done so far have been more like mid or late 80s or even early 90s. So, like the same, like Cheers and Roseanne and The Golden Girls, like. And the Cosby show, those are like mainstays in the top ratings. But so since this is 82, it's a little different, which is a nice little refreshing change. Right. And you mentioned Knight Rider. I remember that was like an event, like the first episode of the Knight Rider. (laughs) Everybody had to gather around and watch this first episode. Oh, and that's, um, what's his face? David Hasselhoff? Is he Knight Rider? Yeah. Or is Knight Rider the car? Who's Knight Rider? Knight Knight Rider refers to the character that David Hasselhoff plays. His name is Michael Knight. So they call him the Knight Rider. There's a play on uh, the time of day, Knight, and his name, Knight. And he works for the Knight Foundation. And a lot of bit to the lore, the car was like an advanced prototype of basically an AI-operated, self-aware automobile. And they go out and fight crime. Yeah, so that's Knight Rider. And we all loved it. I can see guys, boys really liking that. Yeah. Yeah. My aunt, my, my aunt liked that show too. (laughs) And I was surprised. (laughs) Or maybe are there attractive people in it? David Hasselhoff was probably like pretty to look at. It's it's hot. It's all, it's all pretty people. Pretty people. (laughs) So there's something for everyone always. Right. Uh, Were you, were you a Saturday morning cartoon kid? Yeah, that's the only time I willingly got up early on Saturday morning. I was, I would get up as early as possible. I would get up, I would try to get up at six o'clock to catch, because sometimes they, they would have like vintage cartoons, like in the early hours before the, the regular, the current cartoons. 
So I remember getting up early to try to watch uh, something like Felix the Cat or I don't know, some old Spider-Man cartoon, like from the 1960s Spider-Man. I would try to get up early to watch those. And then the regular cartoons would start. <laughs> Dang. I don't remember getting up that early, but I do. Oh, Saturday mornings was the best. And in 82, so some of my favorites, I again, like I remember a lot of things. I must have just saw a lot of reruns because I loved the Smurfs, which was uh, one of the big shows in 82. I mean, that spanned like nine seasons, I want to say. Yeah, um, yeah. And then also Shirt Tales. This is the first time Shirt Tales has come up. So 82. Do you remember the Shirt Tales? Little animals? No, I don't. No? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And then on Sundays, Captain Kangaroo. Did you ever watch that? Yes, I watched a little bit of Captain Kangaroo until I felt as though I aged out of it. Okay. <laughs> what were but some I definitely of the, watched. What were some of your favorite cartoons? I don't know when they came out, but you mentioned a lot of them on the show. So there yeah, was okay. the Transformers, okay. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And then that was paired with the Incredible Hulk. Oh, yeah. And then there, there was like the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner, yeah. like 90-minute cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there was, I mean, I was watching that all the time. And then there's uh, Hanna-Barbera Laugh Olympics. And that's always fun. Yes. I love all the Hanna-Barbera stuff, all their cartoons. Like, I'll watch anything. Yeah, I love it. Right, yeah, right. I liked a lot of the 60s stuff. Flintstones was one of my favorites. I, I don't think it was on a... They had, like, spinoffs, like the baby versions and stuff like that, and they weren't as good. Yeah, right, right. And then there's that was actually... I would just say that actually aired... When it originally aired, that it aired in, in, at nighttime. At, what do you call it? Primetime. That was primetime television. The Flintstones? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was I actually meant, yeah, it, as if you remember back in a day when like the television, the actors themselves would advertise certain products. Oh. So that that's where, you know, the sponsors, they would have, uh, they would do the ads as opposed to like TV commercials or along with regular TV commercials. So you have Fred Flintstones, the animated character doing commercials for like cigarettes. Right. <laughs> oh my God. That, oh my God. That's amazing. Actually, like in its own way. Yeah. That's hilarious. Right. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was on primetime. Cool. I watched it like after school. The Flintstones and the Brady Bunch was on after school, like at 3.30 on TBS always. So I watched those after school. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fact check me on the Flintstone thing. I'm like 90% sure that is accurate. <laughs> it's okay. We like to speculate on the show. No worries at all. Uh, <laughs> Have you heard of, so the, like, there's like this like midday programming that like after like all the good cartoons are on. This is one I didn't know existed. The Gary Coleman show was in 1982 was a midday show and it was like animated, but it was Gary Coleman. Oh, I may have, have seen a that? little bit of, I've probably seen a little bit of that. Like every, a lot of celebrities had cartoons. MC Hammer had a cartoon for a little mm. while. The Jackson 5, obviously, they had a cartoon. Yeah. The Globetrotters had a cartoon. Oh, the Globetrotters. Uh, I, I think I remember a little bit of Gary Coleman. Oh, do you remember Mr. T yes, had a cartoon? He certainly he did. <laughs> he had an action figure that was 12 inches high. <laughs> really? It's yeah. So yeah it's... I remember the song. <laughs> oh, God. So I literally just got done recording for my Rocky show, and we're in Rocky 3 right now. So we have Mr. T. So he will forever. Mr. T to me is Clever Lang. Right. 
sort of on that note, were you, did you watch wrestling at all? Oh man, I watched wrestling all the time. Did you? And okay. as, as a matter of fact, uh, there was, there used to be a, a Saturday morning show that WWF did. Yeah. Well, back at the time it was called yeah. WF and it was called the Saturday morning superstars. Yes. And it's like, I would watch it, but you didn't always get like the, the prime wrestlers in, in that show. So you would get like the, a lot of the unnamed or mm. lower tier wrestlers on mm -hmm. superstars. And then every once in a while, they'll throw in like a Hulk Hogan or an Iron Sheik or something like that. I, but I don't remember there being a whole lot of the, like the big name oh. wrestlers. Oh, also, they also had a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. There was like, cartoons in the eighties, literally everything. I'm not, and I did in doing the show, I learned that a lot of things like lasted for like, half a season or something like, but they would just yeah. they would try anything. See if right. I could watch it and buy cereal in the commercials or whatever. Right? Yeah. They were trying to sell us. Um, but yeah, I was all about wrestling. Who were your wrestlers? At all, but also like early 80s is very different than like later in the decade. Right, right. I don't remember the time frame, but. Okay, no worries. Like I started, obviously I started off with Hulk Hogan. Okay. He was a big draw. I was drawn in just like everybody else was. And then later on, it's like the junkyard dog and somebody like. And then there's like people that I didn't know that I enjoyed watching because I loved to hate him so much. So there was somebody like Macho Man. And it's like, you know, he was so bad. I hated the Macho Man because. He was like everything against everything I stood for, but he is so entertaining. I didn't realize until I watched this uh, YouTube clip and he was doing this thing with, you know, those little cups of cream that you put in your coffee that you oh, get yeah. at 7-Eleven mm -hmm. doing, he was doing this speech in his promo about the cream of the crop. He's being interviewed by me and Gene oh. Oakland. And he was talking about, I'm the cream of the crop. And he was taking these little cups. And he was putting them all over and he's trying to put it on his shoulder. He's trying to put it on top of mean Jean's head. And he's in the like the little cups are falling. And he just kept producing these little cups of cream, putting them all over the place while he's talking about how he's the cream of the crop. Oh my God. And, and then there are other ones like, I, like Undertaker, maybe he was Ooh. like the early nineties, but he was yeah. definitely one of my dudes. Yeah. And then there were the rockers who I believe came in the late eighties before they broke up. And, uh, the guys with the face paint, like Sting and the Oh yeah. You had you had Sting, you had the Road Warriors. I was struggling mm -hmm. to remember their name. You had all of the all of those guys. You had the Harlem Heat. Love those guys. Well, I don't know the and Harlem Heat. They're uh, well, you probably know one of them. It's oh goodness gracious, I'm, I'm forgetting everything. You got me on the spot here. Oh, I'm losing no, the, the You're but, remembering a lot more than I do. Right. So the Harlem Heat was a black tag team too purportedly from Harlem, but in real life, never lived in Harlem. Go it was, gosh, I can't remember. I, I'll remember later on. Okay. And, and then with Harlem Heat, they started in WCW and then after, actually they, they spent all, almost all of their time in WCW. And then when WWE bought WCW, mm. some of the wrestlers, including Harlem Heat, went over to WWE. Okay. Booker T, I knew I was going to remember. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. You're right, Bo I do know. Booker yeah. T is, is somebody you would know. And the yeah. other one, I, his name goes in and out of memory. Okay. Then my favorite, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time from that area, at least late eighties, early nineties, that was the ultimate warrior. And I used to love watching the ultimate warrior. Apparently caused a lot of, wasn't everybody's favorite wrestler as far like as the, the people who actually had to work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah the yeah, other wrestlers. Yeah. Right, right, right. As a matter of fact, the, they hated him so bad that they came out with like this video on the ultimate warrior. Oh, this is long after he that's left. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and then like later on, it's like they were, they made a men's him, uh, the Ultimate War and, and WWE. So they came out with a, 
a, like a, an alternate video series that kind of praised the Ultimate Warrior and, and his exploits in, in wrestling. Uh, and then I forgot about Andre the Giant, obviously. Ooh. He's yeah. definitely one of, the, one of the main men. And I'm forgetting a whole bunch of wrestlers uh, that I used to love. The, Sid Vicious. Um, I mentioned Sting. There was, he's just a big, just a great, big Viking looking dude. Oh. And he almost always has short hair. There, there's also the Steiner okay. brothers. I the love Ste- the Steiner yeah, brothers. Yeah. Dang, you have a really good memory. It's so funny. Wrestling, the vast majority of my guests have been men. And even though I'm a girl, I do. I remember watching wrestling. But wrestling must have been such a thing that right. like, every man that I've talked to who was into it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just a male soap opera. It's and it's just fun to <laughs> like watch that. them. And it's like it's so different now. Back when I was growing up, we used to think it, it was real. Yeah. And like and then you would get into con we'll call them conversations with people like, well, wrestling isn't real. It's like, here it is, right? <laughs> <laughs> Your team sucks. Uh-uh. Yours does. Uh yeah. But um, and then later on that all changed. But mm-hmm. so it's different looking at it now than when we thought that uh was real. Agreed. I mean, I obviously don't follow it now, but and some people still do. I just can't imagine it being as fun, like just knowing. I don't know. I, well, I see. I still catch the occasional match. See, the drama is still there. Okay. Like the storylines are still there, and that's all we were really following. I were know, the storylines you know even all, back in the day. Like, it's all we just. The you know only thing I mean? we know, right? The only thing that we know is that it's predetermined. So what you got, what you understand is that now you're watching a bunch of stunt performers perform stunts. So the stunts that they perform are fascinating. And I like it today because there are so many more women wrestlers now and Mm -hmm. they are fantastic. So one of my favorite is Charlotte Flair. She's the daughter of Ric Flair. I hear she's really good, isn't she? She does one of my favorite finishers of all time. So she does a variation of Ric Flair. His finisher was the figure four leg lock. And, you know, mm, pretty much basic yep. moves. He just yeah. gets your leg, he wraps them up, and he racks you in pain until you submit. So she does her own version of the figure four leg, leg lock, which she gets you in a bind and she arches her back and then she does something extra. <laughs> I forgot what it's called, but it's a, when you see it, it's a fascinating move. And okay. it's just mesmerizing uh, the athleticism because it's still athleticism. I mean, the outcome is predetermined, but they're still falling onto real tables. They're being hit with real chairs. When they dive from the top rope onto the concrete floor of the stadium, it's that's real, right? That they're still getting hurt, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, I, I, yes, I very much appreciate that it's it is real and it does take talent and it's a lot of right. Yeah, to your point, I just like so the storyline bit. I'm like, well, if you know that it's just like I don't know, it's that's but it's fun, it's entertaining. The reason I haven't been watching, but I'm kind of. But my son still watches a lot. So I okay. get hints of what's going on in wrestling. So okay. one of the recent storylines is Rey Mysterio's junior. Rey Mysterio Jr.'s son is in wrestling, Dominic Mysterio. Okay. And he's a heel. And he's, tur- he's joined a heel group. So as groups tend to do, they'll beat up mm. on Rey Mysterio or something like that. So there's tension between Rey Mysterio and his son because Rey Mysterio doesn't want to fight his son. Mm. But his son wants to fight to prove that he's a man. And it's a whole oh. big thing that okay. that's the nice that. storyline to follow there's another nice storyline that happened where you have oh shoot i forgot name i'm forgetting names now so there's this group where you had the world champion and his brothers were with him and they're from like the island pacific islanders mm-hmm. and he's been wrestling for a very long time roman reigns oh. and roman brings and, and you had his his cousins are uh, like part of his crew and he has a whole bunch of people that are part of his crew but then his cousin that the tag team 
champions. They, he's having beef with them. They're not, what you call it? They're not, uh, they're fighting amongst themselves. Uh, and there's tension. So okay. now, cause they want to shine and he won't let them shine is that sort of thing. Got and it. so now that, you know, they're building up to a big fight between Roman Reigns and his, and his crew. So it, the storyline okay. still work for me okay. just because it's they, cause they know how to write it to, to make it appealing. Yeah, that's true. I can see that. Yeah. It's just a live action cartoon. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way of putting it. And I like how you say it's a soap opera for boys or men. That's, that's yeah. Yeah. You know, right, right. So you mentioned Andre the Giant. So in 1982, some of the other like really big wrestlers, you'll probably remember these guys. Big John Studd. You remember Big John? Yes. Gorilla Monsoon. I know him as an announcer. I've never seen him wrestle. Okay. So he's probably a, he's probably an, an announcer then. Jesse Ventura. Yes. And then Captain Lou Albano. Right. The bearded, like, fat guy with, like, yeah. rubber bands in his yeah. beard. And then, right. yeah, he was in the cartoon. I remember the cartoon with him in it. Yeah. And the funny thing about Captain Lou, he's, he's been in a couple of music videos. I, I know that he was in one with Cindy Lauper. Thank yeah. you, God. I think it was right on the tip of my tongue. I'm glad you got it out. And then, because I was going to get stuck, he also played, he was one of the first actors to play a live action Mario as oh. Mario from the video game Super Mario Brothers. Oh, I didn't know he that. He played the live action version on television uh, when Mario had a cartoon. Okay. And then there's uh, what you call it. Yeah, the rubber bands. The rubber bands were a thing. Right. <laughs> That's right. just his just style. His, and he's, his... he was right. And he wrestled for a long time. Like, by the time I thought I started watching wrestling, at least when I started paying attention, uh, Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura, they had become announcers. They weren't wrestling anymore. Okay, got it. Okay. But but he was, Captain Lou Albano was still wrestling. Okay. Well, he, like Cindy Lauper somehow, like they became friends because she kind of became a part of wrestling somehow. I remember her being like a fan of Rowdy Rowdy Piper and stuff too. It, what a weird Oh, yeah. That's time. another guy I forgot to mention. He was awesome. Rowdy Rowdy yeah. Rowdy Piper. Yeah. And Cindy Lauper, I know that she performed in one of the WrestleManias, but I don't yeah. know how many shows that she appeared mm -hmm. on, but she at least did that. Yep. Agre yep. The Rock's dad, Rocky Johnson, apparently was big in 82. Yeah, absolutely. He was, he was part of a tag team for, okay. for the most part. That's how I think his partner was like Samson or something oh. like that. And, and they were like, I don't know if they were ever tag team champions, but I know they, they were a very prominent tag team. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember him at all. So I don't, I, <laughs> I don't remember, I don't remember watching him wrestle. But I remember when The Rock started being promoted by WWE, they yeah. would promote him as the first uh, third generation wrestler because his grandfather was, oh. what's his name? Something Maya Villa, Grand oh. Chief Maya Villa. Oh. And when The Rock first came on, he called himself Rocky Maya Villa. So Maya Villa was for his grandfather and Rocky was for his father, Rocky Good Johnson. Oh, Good to know. Also, Mr. Fuji. Yes, I remember Mr. Fuji. He was a manager, though. I don't think okay. he was a wrestler. Yeah, these might these are just people in wrestling. Right, right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> and then Sika, S I K A, Sika, Sika, Sika. I don't remember him. I think he was I like don't. a warrior esque. Nope, yeah, doesn't. Okay, no, don't right. got him. <laughs> well, let's move on to music of 1982, specifically the week of June 25th, which is when the thing came out. So the top billboards this week there's some good ones number one song is ebony and ivory by partney uh, yeah. and stevie wonder right i don't like that song yeah. 
Do you? You don't, I don't like it. <laughs> I love no, that song. I don't, well, I grew up I with that song, so. <laughs> I don't know. And Paul McCartney's had some great collaborations. So he did some with Stevie Wonder. He did some with Michael Jackson and, uh, oh, yeah. and some other people. So, but yeah, I always liked that song. But it's not, you know, not everybody's going to like it. Don't feel shame. It's all right. <laughs> all things are not for all people. <laughs> right. There you go. There you go. I do some of these other ones. So number two is Don't You Want Me by The Human League. I loved that. That was like starting to get that like 80s sound. Do you know? Right. I don't remember them. Um, I, I, like I know. Don't you want me. Right? No. Still. No. Nope. Okay. Uh, still. I and my memory is fractured <laughs> what are some other ones what about toto's rosanna number three song this week yeah 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 i remember that one and then he the heat of the moment by asia i don't remember asia what else did they sing anyway you know what's funny is that there are a lot of songs that i listened to growing up that i didn't know who sang them until i started using like streaming music like mm. i used youtube um, YouTube music to stream my music. Mm -hmm. And so you get to see the name of the artist who's yeah. saying, I was like, oh, that's who's saying this song. <laughs> I'm the same way because we didn't have, or even like on the radio now, it's like digitized. So you, a lot of times it'll show you who it is, but yeah. that wasn't the case yeah. when we were growing up. We right. didn't have a digital radio. Um, unless you happen to catch the video on MTV, but. Yeah, that or the DJ, I mentioned the name of the person. I mean, there yeah. are a lot of times they'll yeah. say the name of the person when they play the song. But a lot of times I'm also not paying attention. Right. So I'll just go and I'm blissfully ignorant. I don't know and I don't care. I just I like this song, especially like when you're young, like when you're in a single oh. digits or in your early teens, like you're 10 or 12. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't care about who sang the song that much. It's only when you get 15 and 16 that you, you start caring who the artist is. Right, right. Yeah. And so you get the power to buy your own albums and you have to know the artist is. And then you start putting posters of people on your oh, wall. Yeah. You know, it, it's a progression. Who do you have? Who? What posters? Speaking of, what posters did you have on your wall? Do you remember any? Most, mostly, it was like science fiction posters. Like there was this movie called Dark Man. So I had a Dark Man poster up. I had the cast of Star Trek: The Next Generation. That poster I had. Oh, you're I think super sci-fi somewhere. Guy. Yeah, yeah. And and stuff like that. I don't remember any like actors or singers like. An actor, just for sake of being an actor, they had to mm -hmm. have played mm -hmm. something. But I, those two, I remember specifically. Okay. But I know I had plenty of others. I just can't think of them right, right. now. Right. Yeah, yeah. Those two are top of my. I, I probably had a bunch of Star Trek posters, but not not many singing Singer, yeah. or singers. Right. Right. Yeah. Or bands or groups. I know I had favorite groups, but I didn't have their posters. Who's your favorite group? What One of them kids? was. Yeah. Well, the earliest ones that I can remember, I remember I bought. My first, the first album I ever bought was George Michael. Oh, Faith. so good. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I also liked New Edition. Then there's... Uh, Is that with Bobby Brown? Was he New Edition? And when... By the, well, I liked them the entire time. Like when they first came out, I think it was like the early 80s. So I liked them the entire time, but I wasn't even really able to buy the album or... The funny thing is I'm not even cognizant that I could buy albums until later on. Yeah. Uh, so by the time I was cognizant that I could buy albums, it was the the later ones when they just had brought in Johnny Gill and mm. Bobby Brown was out the group. Okay. But there, there was also, and then the separate constituents of New Edition. So like Johnny Gill by himself, Bobby Brown by himself, and Belby of DeVoe, and uh, Tre Ralph Tresvant by himself. And then there's also like, 
Heavy D and the Boys mm. and the guy that used to call himself the Fresh Prince. The DJ, it's, it's when, when they first came out, it was DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Yes. So I oh. like that duo or group. That was good. God, I kind of forgot what was like, what was one of those? Was it summertime? Was that them? Or... Well, yeah, that's them. That's yeah. them. But when I started listening to them, like the first song that I really recognized them was a song called Parents Just Don't Understand. Yes. Yeah. And... You know, parents all the same, no matter time, no place. And, that, and that's the, it didn't introduce me to rap music. I, I would hear it, but I w- it wasn't clicking with me at the time, the earlier rap stuff. But that was the song that really got me into rap music was Parents Just Don't Understand. It's and perfect for that kids. That was like the, yeah, yeah, because it spoke to me. Yeah. It was speaking my language because parents didn't Did, understand. Yeah, it's so yeah. innocent And then too. it, yeah, so, and then it, I think that was the first rap album that I bought. And yeah, yeah. And also LL Cool J. I think oh. that was, my cousin took me to that concert. Oh, what a, oh, LL. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right, right. So th- those are some of the acts that I really enjoyed growing up. Those are good ones. All right, I'm going to circle back to the remainder of the top 10 in June of 82. Uh, Willie Nelson's always on my mind. That was 82, huh? I for some reason thought that was like older than that. It's but... just because he sounds old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like forever like 70 or something. Right. Absolutely. The number six song is literally one of my favorite songs ever. Hurts So Good by John Cougar. That album, again, this is 82. I just like older things, but that is, that's one of those few albums where almost every song is like a hit or really good. You know, you don't have to skip. What's a, yeah, a great I album. love those unskip. For me, that's George Michael's album. Yeah. That's yep. the new edition album. I What's it called? I can't remember what it's called, but like the, like I said, the one that I mentioned earlier, that's unskippable. Yeah. Even he's the DJ, I'm the rapper. That's by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. I feel like that's unskippable. Okay. But maybe it's because I just listen to him over and over yeah. again. <laughs> and you get to know, like when one song ends, you like know exactly what the next song is. Yeah. yeah. It gets uh, bad. <laughs> uh, Crimson and Clover by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. That was quite a song. The number eight song is Let It Whip, and the group is Daz, D-A-Z band. I know the song, but I the group is unfamiliar to me. Right, right. Is that the one that's Whip, whip It Good, think, Whip It Good? Is that it? I think That's the only so. song that comes to mind. Well, I think that's, I think that's right. Hey guys, it's Katie. Pardon the interruption. Uh, Clearly we were wrong. So I just thought that I would add that in there. Um, Not at all the song we were thinking of. Totally different, but still recognizable. The number nine song, never heard of the group. The group is called Juice Newton. Or maybe that's a person. Never heard of that. The, The song title is Love's Been a Little Bit Hard on Me. I feel like I know that. And then... Number 10 is The Other Woman by Ray Parker Jr. The only reason I know Ray Parker Jr. is because I think last episode, he he sings Ghostbusters. Right. That's the only reason I know him. I don't know him from 
anything else. My guest and I, we thought it was a one, he was a one hit wonder with Ghostbusters, but I guess he, he broke the top 10 again with the other woman, which I don't know, but. Yeah. Right, right. That's uh, the problem. He, nobody knows that. One. So he, or nobody really remembers. He's not known for that one. Too. Right. You know, fame is a fickle thing. It, boy, isn't it? So there are a few things that were happening in the world, June 1982. General Efrain Rios Mont, probably pronouncing that horribly, declares himself president of Guatemala. That sounds familiar. Somebody just declaring themselves president. But there's actually a film about somebody like that. We call him Napoleon. Mm. And he declared himself president yeah. once. Have you seen the trailer for that? I haven't. Is It's a new, like it hasn't come out yet? No, it hasn't come out yet. It's a film by Ridley Scott. It Ooh. stars Jacqueline Phoenix. And Jacqueline Phoenix is playing Napoleon. Ooh, that's so going to be good. So when you get a chance, Ooh. when you get a chance, it's tantalizing. So go watch that. He's, he's good. I hope yeah. anything he does is good. So I'm going to definitely check that out. Argentina surrenders to Great Britain, ending the 74-day Falklands Islands conflict. I don't, I feel like I remember hearing about that, but yeah, that happened in June. Same. Heard about it. It wasn't interested. <laughs> this one you'll have heard about. You know, there was a an attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan. Well, his yeah. would-be assassin, John Hinckley, John Hinckley, he's found not guilty of that 81. So this is 82. He tried to shoot the president in 81. He's found not guilty by reason of insanity. So his yeah. trial, I, yeah, I bet that was a big trial. I think that he's actually insane. I probably heard about it at okay. the time too, but it's, I believe it. It's, but being found guilty by reason of insanity is actually worse than being just found guilty. Right, <laughs> because if, if you're found not guilty by reason of insanity, you still get locked up. It's just that you, ostensibly, you're locked up until you're cured, like you sent in for treatment. But you might never be cured. They might never say that. Okay, you're cured now. And then when you get cured, then you can be charged and held, and and you can oh, be given another right. trial. That's right. Yeah. But the problem is being found of sound mind and body, like being declared sane. Once you're committed in the institution, that might never happen. So you're just stuck there. Indefinitely. Just there. Right. Indefinitely. Mm -hmm. So that's the problem with being de declared not guilty by reason of insanity. Yeah. Good point. Really good point. The fourth NASA space shuttle mis mission, Columbia 4 launches. That maybe was like a lesser known one. Baby William of Prince Charles and Diana, Princess of Wales, is born. So I am older than William. I don't think I realized that. He was born in 82. <laughs> right. Um, he maybe looks older because he's got that receding hairline. Poor William. Yeah, yeah. And then some huge movie releases. So The Thing, in addition to The Thing in June, so it was number seven at the box office. Some other big releases, a couple would be right up your alley. E.T., one of the biggest movies of all time, probably. Ah, it's one of the few movies that I saw at the theater. Me too. And no, what, the, I was released. I saw it at the theater because didn't they have an anniversary re-release? Re -re yeah, they did that before before most people had cable. So there were many movies that were constantly re-released. So one of those was Enter the Dragon, 
another one of those is Star Wars. Another one of mm. those is E.T. Okay. But I'm, I saw it. Yeah, I saw it when it first came out, at least around that time. I How saw it in 1982. You? you were must have been oh, really little. Like, yeah, 10 or 12. Okay. Wh- whatever 1982, wh- whatever 1982 take away 1971, okay. whatever that answer Got is. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, but yeah, I remember that's one of the few movies that uh, my mom took us to see. And I remember being late because she's permanently on Black People Time. So I never. I would have been pissed, I, though. I don't want to be late for. Well, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, see, it's not. It's, it wasn't something like. Not. I was anticipating going to the movies. I don't think I had any idea what I was going to see. That's it true. was just excitement of going to the movies and then getting there. And the credits have already passed. So you already know that you're late to the theater. But it's funny, right? Because it's. I've never seen the beginning of E.T. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, actually, your mom probably planned that because if you're late, you don't have time to stop at the snack bar. So that way you don't have to buy your kids snacks for the movie. Well, she wasn't going to do that anyway. Oh. It's not like she had to <laughs> conjole us or fool us or anything like that. It's, it's like we're just going in a movie to eat. I, and I'm not sure if, if we had snacks or not. I don't remember eating popcorn. Maybe we didn't. I don't remember. But I've cultivated a habit of not eating popcorn in the theater. Because I'm kind either. of rebellious I'm a, like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of the, I'm glad, oh gosh, there's another one of us. I am not a popcorn person either. Like I, it, right. I remember even when I did go to the theater as a kid, I would get like milk duds or something. Right, right. Or like, yeah, the only eggs. time I would get like popcorn or soda is that if I'm with somebody else and they have to have mm-hmm. popcorn or soda. So it's like, okay, I guess, I guess we're getting popcorn and mm-hmm. soda. But I try to avoid it, especially if I'm going to the theater by myself and I, I don't touch the stuff. <laughs> Better not to. I think the movie popcorn, that whatever the butter business they put on it, it can't be good for you. No, none of that is. But it's good. I mean, it's delicious. It's passable. I can eat it. But I'm not go. If I can help it, I don't. <laughs> it's like I'm offended by the pricing. <laughs> oh, right. You can always sneak your own snacks in. You, you could do that but it's i just it seems to me like my logic has always been that if i can go there and pay like a reasonable price for fast food or whatever or if i can eat at home before i go to the movie theaters i cannot eat for two hours and be fine right right <laughs> yeah you're not gonna die i know but it is right 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 for a lot of people it's kind of part of the experience i'm yeah. with you so i don't need it but what's becoming more popular and i obviously like movies now are way different and I go to mm-hmm. movies so infrequently. Like it's probably, it's been over a year probably since I've been to a movie theater. But I like the Cynodines now because you can order a meal and it's like regular restaurant pricing, you know? Yeah, yeah. You can order a meal or a beer. Like I'll do a beer or a glass of wine. Like that's more my jam. And it's not like, it's not like $40 for a glass of wine. It's like a regular. Right, much, right, however right, much right. you pay at a restaurant normally. So I kind of like that. Yeah, I've been to one. I, I don't, I think it was like an AMC or something like that, but I went to a theater like that serves you after you order. Cause I went and I ordered food. It was like, oh, yeah, just go inside. We'll bring it to you. It was like, oh, oh it's like that. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. It and, <laughs> so it, it is nice to do that. I just I actually just went to the theater a couple of times. So a few weeks ago, I went to see Into the Spider Verse, I think it was. Mm. And then I think I, no, it's Across the Spider Verse. So I saw that in the theater. And I'm fuzzy on the details if I've seen anything else between that and a movie that I just saw last week. I saw Man on Fire. No, that's I'm getting my moves mixed up. I saw Equalizer 3 
completely different movie. <laughs> Wait, is Denzel Washington in that? Yes, is Denzel Washington okay. Equalizer Three is the third in this series. He plays a a badass assassin and he kills people. And just you can't ask for more than that. <laughs> That's true. I, to be honest with you, didn't know there was an Equalizer Two, and so Equalizer Three. Yeah, Equalizer Two. Not I, I did enjoy that quite as much as Equalizer One. Equalizer One is great. Equalizer Two was just like mid. Or probably even less than mid. And then Equalizer 3, probably mixed. I just okay. listened to this podcast. There's a podcast called Watch Skip Plus. And okay. they they didn't truly enjoy it. They didn't like it as much. They were kind of disappointed. They thought that it wasn't even as good as Equalizer 2. Okay. But I felt differently. I truly enjoy Equalizer 3. And I don't know why my perspective is different from theirs. I, I Me and Zach, we enjoyed ourselves there. Well, good. I'm good. Good for you for going to the theater lately to support the arts. Right, right, right. I just like the experience inside the theater. Yeah. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Did you see that movie? I bet you did. Oh, yeah. That's exactly one. That's another one of the movies that my parents took us to. And uh, that was what it was one of the most impactful movies I saw, especially at that age. I remember there was a moment in a movie and I started tearing up. And my mom leaned over and was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I have not seen that, but I would have. Oh, my God. It. I know. Listen, you're going to hate me. I'm not a sci-fi person. No, I don't hate um, you. It's not, it, yeah. you know, but I think that you would like that one. It's okay. well, actually, you would like that one. And you would like Star Trek for the voyage home. Because Star Trek four is much more grounded because they go to Earth. They go, they actually go to the past. They go to 1984 or whatever year it was, oh, that current year. Okay. And then, and so you would see it from a different perspective because now you're, because you're looking at a film that's in the past, set in the past. So all of the, it's not a set that they're on. They're yeah. actually on the streets of San Francisco and the people walking around, they're not wearing costumes. They're regular pedestrians oh, just I going about that. their day, just happen to be caught on camera of, of a Hollywood production. Ooh, There's actually cool. some scenes where um the actors like William Shatner and Nichelle Nichols and, and um the other actors they're going around asking regular people on the street where they can find the nuclear submarines. These the people that they're talking to aren't actors. They're like real people that they're talking to on the streets of San Francisco, wow. asking them where they can get where they can find a nuclear submarine. So I didn't that's know that fine. about that's, that. that. Okay, was, well, yeah. I might have to give them a chance. Uh, yeah. So I'm, yes, skip Star Trek one. Okay. Watch Star Trek two, three, and four, and and then skip to Star Trek six if you want to watch them. But you, I think you would like Star Trek two: The Wrath of Khan. That's okay. That I'm, was pretty awesome. I'll try it. I will try it. Uh, horror is not my thing either, which is odd because not we're, the movie we're covering today is horror, sci-fi, mystery, but Kurt's in it, so that's why we're covering it. Um, but Poltergeist, I have seen Poltergeist, and I do like some horror movies. There are some that are just really good, Poltergeist being one of them. It was uh, one of the biggest movies in June of 82. Then also Annie. Annie? Did you watch The Real Annie uh, with Carol Burke as Mrs. Hannigan? Oh, she was in that. I didn't remember she was in that. Yeah, she was in that one. I, I think I've definitely watched bits and pieces of it, but I don't ever remember watching it fully from beginning oh to God. end. 
I hear singing in here. I might have to watch it later today because I remember loving it. And I don't even like a musical either. Like, it's an exception at any rate. Then Firefox, which I'm, I don't know what Firefox is, but it was big in 82 apparently. And then also. No, don't know that one. Blade Runner. I'm sure you've seen Blade Runner. Yeah, I've seen it after. It was, it's weird because I guess when it was in theaters, I didn't know it was in theaters when it was in theaters. And I Mm -hmm. wasn't really familiar with it until after it came out. On VHS or, uh, yeah, it was VHS at the time. And the funny thing about that is people used to talk about it all the time, talk about what a great movie it is and how impactful it was. And it just never got around to see it. And so I finally watched it and I was like, it's okay. (laughs) You know, that is so funny because Blade Runner and The Thing, so they both came out at the same time. But as, so E.T., Blade Runner and The Thing. Both Blade Runner and The Thing performed not well at the box office. And some have said it's likely because E.T. was so huge and it was more like cute and sweet and not like darker. And it was sort of like the appetite that people had was more in the E.T. direction at the time. And so at the time, Blade Runner and The Thing suffered from that, from being lumped with E.T., but later, both films are now considered some of the best films of their genre. Interesting. Yeah. Apparently, like right. even the thing, it was like, it's like number a hundred and something in the AFI or the IMDb's top 250. It's, right. It's IMDb rating is an 8.2. I'm like really yeah. shocked. I am actually shocked <laughs> by that. Partially because it's hard to get a high rating like 8.2 yeah is one on of the, imdb yeah. yeah it's very hard to get a above a seven yeah so you, so, you see eight it's like yeah i'm i'm a little shocked by that and then the <laughs> last movie is grease 2 um which is it's kind of dumb it's not nearly as good as regular grease but all right so before we get into <laughs> before we get into the thing as you know so this season of retromade is focused on our everyman one of which is Kurt Russell, the other Patrick Swayze. Do you have any specific thoughts about either of them? Yeah, I, I like to watch both of them. They're both, for me, they're both box office draws. I'm always interested in seeing a movie if either one of them in, it, are in it, are in that movie. But I don't want to say it like I lost interest in Patrick Swayze early on, but he wasn't really doing movies that I wanted to see him in because I think after Ghost and what you call it, Roadhouse. Mm -hmm. And then there was some movies like he was in a movie called Ken. And for some reason, I wasn't interested in a movie called Ken. Next of Ken? Was it Next of Ken? Yeah, I think it was Next of Ken. Oh, he was also in Point Break. So I I definitely watched him in that. And then his his guest appearance on Saturday Night Live was an absolute classic. And I remember loving that. that. Oh, my God. (laughs) The, The Chippendales dancer. Is that what you're yes. Right, the Chippendale dancer. Farley. Oh my God. So <laughs> right, classic. right, right. It was, yeah, that's super incredible. But yeah, but I always liked Patrick Swayze. Did you know that his name, at least for a brief period of time, became uh, a slang? 
It was kind of like a slang term. At least what? I've heard it one time used as a slang. So specifically Swayze. For what? Um, slang for what? I have not heard this. Are you, I think that means like, are you, it's, it's kind of hard to uh, articulate because I've only heard it in one instance. But it's like, are you super cool? Are you tough? Are you man enough? Are you, are you crazy? Like, yeah. Right, right. Are you super mass? Because it's like the one time you hear, if you listen to Rough Riders Anthem by DMX. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's the song where I heard it used as a slang. Mm -hmm. So there's a. Yes, you're right. So there's a part of the song with a. Is y'all people crazy? I'll bust you and be Swayze. Yes. I'll be cool. Yeah. I'll be the man. I'll, I'll be the it factor, right? Because <laughs> he can kick ass and take names and look hot doing it. Yeah. Right, right. And then, like, Kurt Russell, he's been in a lot of my favorite movies. I and mean, he's just a cool. He's just so laid back and seen. Uh -huh. In most of his movies, it, it's like a dude that chill out and play Mortal Kombat with. I don't know. Just a pretty chill dude. Indeed. And so, yeah, I, and I like a lot of Kurt Russell's movies. Same. Do you think that Kurt and Patrick look, at, look alike at all? You know what? I was ready for this question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, let me, let me issue a preamble. I actually wrote some notes. Oh. When I think of people that look alike, I think of people that I would confuse mm. for one another. Okay. Like they look so much alike that I think they're the other person or I'd get them confused or something like that. Mm -hmm. For example, you have uh, Jessica Chastain and Bryce Dallas Howard. Okay. I can hardly tell them apart. They look like twins. As a matter of fact, they look so much apart. They look so much alike that even Ron Howard, he asked his daughter Dallas about a film that she was in. And Dallas says, no, dad, that wasn't me. That was Jessica <laughs> they Justine. Do, they do. I can see that. I can see that Jessica's way right. prettier in my opinion. But <laughs> And then another example I have is Michael Sarah and uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Uh-huh. Yeah, look. that's a good one. They not only look alike, but they kind of act alike. Yeah. And they can almost like be in the same roles. Mm -hmm. So th that's kind of who I see as being looking more alike like, and almost acting the more same. More doppelgangery is kind of your definition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Okay. Right. So Kurt Russell and, and what's his name? Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Patrick Swayze. Yeah, see, I told you I got Swiss cheese memory. I'm like the dude from Quantum Leap. <laughs> so they, they don't really look alike to me. It is specifically because Kurt Russell has a really square looking jaw to me. It's like mm -hmm. he's, it's a really square jaw. It's like more jaw than the average person. It's like kind of out there. I don't it's, think they kind maybe, of have a similar uh, jaw bone structure. No, not, no? not okay. really. I think uh, Patrick Swayze, he is more, is more regular. It's, it's more regular looking. Okay. Like human portion. Human. And then Kurt Russell, it, it's kind of out there mm -hmm. with how square his face is. Okay. I feel like Patrick Swayze is slightly, his face is slightly more oval or more, uh, okay. not, I don't yeah, want to yeah. say thinner. No, it, well, it is. But it's yeah. more of an over yeah. than, and Kurt, see, I'm forgetting names again. Uh, Kurt Russell is more squarish. It's okay, kind of a I square can, face. I see that. So that, that's why I feel like they don't, to me, they don't look alike. Okay. And then it's their, the hair is always different. Up until recently, Kurt Russell had this huge, like lion's mane of hair mm -hmm. in most of the movies that he's in. And, Patrick Swayze less like he still has mm -hmm. like and it's like Patrick Swayze has a tendency to have like a what do you call that like business in the front part mullet. yeah well it, Kurt had a mullet too they both that's why I yeah, think they look yeah. they both have a similar mullet yeah his is less mullety okay <laughs>
Okay. Okay. I hear you. I hear you. Okay. Okay. But that's all I'm saying. I couldn't wait for you to ask me that question. Oh, this is my big chance. You were prepared. Yeah, I was prepared. And you did come with it. So thank you for that. I'm going to keep trying. I'm telling you what, you guys. Also, I need more listeners. I have had some listeners reach out and say that they agree with me. You are, if there are more of you out there, please reach out. Facebook, YouTube, you can email retromadepodcast at gmail.com. Please let me know. Okay. Shall we get into the movie The Thing? Let's do it. June 25th, 1982. The rating, I found this to be, I've never experienced this doing the show. 16 plus is the rating. Have you seen that before, Zach? What is 16 plus? What is that from? I think it is that they didn't submit it for a proper MPAA rating. Oh, I've never heard of it. So that it's before. like I've their suggestion. Somebody that knows better, please let me know. But in my like 30 second research, I was like, what is the 16 plus? Because it's not R, it's not PG 13. Yeah, it appears as though it wasn't submitted for an actual rating. And so it was like a suggestion that whoever gives the producers. I don't know. That might, maybe that's a, like a European rating. When I Google it, it'll say that it's rated R. Really? Okay. But that's just Google. Yeah. But that's just Googling it, not going to the website. Just That's just what Google has found. Okay. So, the equivalent. It probably is like the equivalent of an R. Like if it were to be, yeah. So since, right. maybe since then it has gone through the rating system. But yeah. So our director here. Um, so we have Kurt Russell in this, obviously. And he has teamed up with his longtime, like, he, you know how there's like duos? John Carpenter yes. and Kurt have teamed up a lot. And so John Carpenter is the director here. Apparently, this was his first foray into making like a major studio film. And I feel bad that it did not like bode well, like it didn't do well with critics and audiences at first. Since then it has. But also John Carpenter for you all, I'm everybody knows, but he is kind of known for a lot of his horror movies, including Halloween, They Live, but Christine. And then um, some of his other collabs with Kurt, uh, which we already covered Big Trouble in Little China. That was one of them. And we will be covering Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. So those are some of the other Kurt collabs with John Carpenter. Writer Bill Lancaster, he also wrote Bad News Bears. And then John W. Campbell Jr. was one of the other writers. And he also wrote the 2011 remake of The Thing. All right, now the cast I found interesting. We have Kurt Russell as McCready or Mac. Wilfred Brimley with no mustache. Did you recognize Wilfred? Yes. Yeah. No, not really. I had to look at him hard and long. I was like, that guy must be Wilfred Brimley. That must, it must be that guy. It- because he was basically unrecognizable without his mustache. And then he's a lot more, because he's younger, he's a lot more, I don't know, active, I guess. Yeah. You know, he was, you know, swinging an axe and pointing a gun. He was, I didn't picture him moving as fluidly as I've seen, because I've only seen him as an older man. Same. Yeah, because as I've told you before, this is my first time watching the film. And I was like, Wilfred Brimley? So he's done more than just those commercials? (laughs) Well, did you you see Cocoon? He was in Cocoon. Yes, I saw Cocoon. Only in his 40s, I want to say. Like he was, he's one of those people. Oh, really? Yeah, he looks 
older than he. I, that was a thing back then, but yeah. And then Our House. Did you ever watch the TV series Our House? Shannon Doherty was in it. He was in that. No, too. I didn't see yeah. that one. Anyway, okay. I, I don't think it lasted very long. Um, and then we have Keith David as Childs. He was another one. Okay. Yes. This. Okay. This was his first credited feature film role, and it launched a very prolific career that lasted more than thirty-five years. But it took me a long time to recognize him. I'm a young Keith David. <laughs> and right, right. I was like, because oh, he is so young. Yeah, but he, what gets you is that yes, voice gets you. Same. To, I'm going to, this might be surprising, but be, maybe not. This was my first viewing of this as well. Oh, awesome. And, well, because so, horror and sci fi, not really my thing. I do love Kurt, but I was only, I was an infant when this movie came out. And, Right, you know, right, right. I live with a bunch of girls, and so I don't know for whatever reason this never made its way around our house. So this is my first viewing. <laughs> well, I, I'm like you. I, I'm not into a lot of horror. I don't watch a lot of horror. If it's if it's good horror, it's going to scare me and give me the heebie-jeebies, and I don't want that in my life. And if it's bad <laughs> horror, then it's just like corny. It's 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 cheesy and corny, and I, I don't need. It's like I'm not in, in a bunch of cheese and corn. So the best example of a really good horror that I had watched one time was Saw 2. So I saw that. It no. scared the mm -hmm. heebie-jeebies out yeah. of me. It was. It did exactly what it's it was, supposed yeah. to do, which it horrified me. It was absolutely horrifying. And so I came out with two conclusions. Like the first conclusion is, wow, that's a really good horror movie. And the second one was, well, I don't need to watch any of these Saw movies again. I'm convinced that it's a good movie. I don't have to partake in that. Yeah, anymore. those are a bit. Those are a bit much for me. I like the classics. <laughs> Um, like Rosemary's Baby or like The Omen, like that kind of what's the Stanley Hotel one with Jack Nicholson, The Shine, uh, The Shine. The shine. Like I like the classics, and then also the ones that we watched as like preteens at slumber parties, like Freddy Kruegery, that kind of Nightmare on Elm Street type stuff, like right, dumb, right. silly teen horror. But yeah, I don't know. It's not my super jam. I'm same. I don't want to have nightmares. <laughs> um, <laughs> which this didn't. I don't know. It is called horror mystery. Like it's categorized in horror mystery and sci-fi, which I think that tracks. Like I would say, yes, I wasn't scared though. Right. right. I think it's because it, there, there were some pretty good jump scares. Okay. There, there were parts of the movie where I was horrified, but okay. I think it's like, uh, we're watching it. Like when you're watching an old movie, especially a whole horror movie, you are somewhat watching it out of context. So That's... watching it, and when it originally premiered has a way different effect on us than watching it now, like 20 years or 30 years later or something like that. But they, the, I would say that the special effects are still more or less effective. And I liked the horror elements of it. No, I, that was actually one of my notes. I, I don't know if people were going to scream at me or be in agreement with me, but I liked the effects. I actually yeah. was like pretty impressed. And this is 1982 and I'm watching it in 23, yeah. 2023. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. Like, it's it is gory yeah. and gross and ugh, like, I I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. 1982 is when like practical effects, like we saw in this movie, that, that's when it basically was at a mature moment. It was still it's it was continuously getting better, but it had matured. So people know knew what they were doing when they wanted to make you know fake yeah. things look real, especially when you're dealing with a monster movie. If you've got the right budget, then mm -hmm. you can get some very effective effects at that time. I'm jumping all over the place, but to your point, it did have 
It's budget. We'll get back to the cast. But to your point about budget, this did have like a spectacular budget for a horror movie. $15 million, which was substantially larger than, you know, average horror films of that time. Just as an example, Friday the 13th, which was in 1980, had a cost of $700,000. Oh, wow. Halloween, the 1978, John Carpenter's original, who also did the thing. His original Halloween had a guess. Guess what its budget was. Halloween, like one of the most uh, famous horror movies ever. If you're going to have me guess, yeah. I'm going to guess maybe 500000 You're very close. Three Isn't that nuts? Oh, okay. That's crazy. Yeah, so yeah. in comparison, The Thing in 1982 had a $15 million budget and it only grossed 19.6 worldwide. So it did make its money back, mm. but it was not like clearly not what they were hoping for. Well, in us, in, people in the movie biz, what they like to say is that if it's not making twice its production cost, then it's not really making this money back because they never factor in marketing. Oh, so it's not? New, it's not? That's right. not included in the... I actually didn't know Right. That. Okay. Right. So you have the budget of the movie is separate from the marketing. Oh. It usually costs... If, so if a movie costs $15 million to produce, they usually spend $15 million in marketing. And so the overall cost of movies somewhere around $30 million. Okay. So if it only made $19 million, then it, it didn't did really it. make its money back. <laughs> I, that's actually really helpful for me to know that the marketing budget is usually about the same as the production budget. Or is that not? Yeah, not yeah. It's usually how, that's how most people factor okay. it, like when they're talking about they if it. a movie is a flop or if they want a movie, like doubling it will have it make its money Got back it. and tripling it will garner a profit. So they really want... So, like, when you see these, like, huge movies, like a $200 million movie, like, I think The Flash is somewhere around $200 million, and it, it only make $150 million. Well, it, that's a lot of money to make. For any movie to make, it's a lot of money. But you're spending way too much money for this movie. Yeah, like, yeah. you spent $200 million, probably too much money, yeah. probably too much. And then there are other um, budget budgetary things that happen. Like, you spend a certain amount of money in a movie, and then somebody gets hurt, so you have to push back production. Mm -hmm. Pushing, well, like pausing production costs the studios money. So that can blow up the budget. Yeah. Or something like the pandemic when, oh, when yeah. you had slow productions, that can blow up the budget. Or like when you start to make a movie and then you have to, maybe you have to fire the lead actor and you have to film everything all over again. Oh, that, oh, yeah. that can have a substantial yeah. effect on the budget. Make all, all, right. Hollywood accounting is different from what us regular. Yeah. Folks no, the, thank you for that. That's really good insight. Okay. Where'd we leave off? Keep. Okay, so rounding out the cast, I actually, one of the things I did find kind of hard as my first viewing is remembering who was who. Like yeah, me too. Different Same. Cast members. Same. So we have, okay, <laughs> glad that I'm not the only idiot. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're not. Because, so for big fans of a movie, I've only seen it once, but so have I, had I seen it like twice, I would have gotten it probably quicker. But Richard Masur played Clark, and he was also in Risky Business and My Girl. T.K. Carter played Nalls. Did you recognize him in anything? I definitely, he definitely looks familiar to me. Like I've seen him before, but I don't know where I've seen him at. Maybe he's a comedian. Yeah, I probably is. saw him on sitcoms. Yep. Right. Yeah. But I, I don't, I don't remember his, uh, where I've seen him from, but I remember his face. He's been in a ton of stuff, including Runaway Train, Southern Comfort, Punky Brewster, and where I know him most 
is he played Milo from the show Good Morning, Miss Bliss, which was what Saved by the Bell was before they called it Saved by the Bell. Oh, was was he a kid? No, no, he, he have was been a like kid. was the, he? He was another teacher. He was in yeah. He was in, was. No, I was asking. Was he? You said he was on Pug, Punky Brewster. Was he a regular? Um, he was an adult. I don't. I don't remember if he because I love Punky Brewster, but I can't picture him. Yeah, he was a regular. Right. He was a regular. Mm-hmm. He was one of the other. I don't know, like dude from the neighborhood or something. <laughs> he was there. Yeah, I, if I recognize, I I would probably remember him from Punky yeah. Brewster. I mean, that's probably why I remember him because I did watch a lot of that. Yeah, and I love how in the movie. So his role in the movie must have been um, like cook, like because he seemed to. I don't know. I feel like he. Was, yeah, it looked like, like he in the his domain was the kitchen. It seemed. I think they were all researchers, but he specialized in cooking because they all had. I don't sort think of they. A, a jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all had a niche. Like Kurt Russell was the or. What's his name? McGreedy was the helicopter pilot. Yeah. Um, but that's the only job. I knew that. What's his name? Somebody, there was a doctor there mm-hmm. and there was a guy that was kind of like the, the head of the project. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know what their specific jobs were. Right. Uh, except for the helicopter pilot and the doctor. Everybody else was just there to me. Yeah. There right? were a few. Just... So, yeah. So McCready, like Kurt, we'll call him Mac McCready and Kurt, all one in the same. Now, he was the helicopter right. pilot and kind of seemed to sort of not be the boss, but he takes over. Wilford Brimley is Dr. Blair. Yeah, and then he was a doctor. There's another doctor, though, that they keep calling Doc. We'll, we'll get to him. But Keith David Childs, I'm not sure what his specialty was, uh, but Clark seemed to be the dog handler guy. Like, he seemed to be that. And then Nall, um, he was where I was going with the kitchen. He was on roller skates when we meet him. Like All the time. He's like on roller skates, <laughs> which is so 1982. I love it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, then it is. Palmer is played by David Clennon. I don't know what Palmer's specialty is, but he is in a lot of other things. If anybody watched the show 30-something, he played Miles in that. He was also in the movie Gone Girl. And then Dr. Copper. So yeah, there's, I always, I did get confused when they said Doc, because I'm like, I thought Brimley was Doc, but then they called him Blair. I was confused, but apparently I they're think, both doctors. Yeah, not, well, Blair is specifically a medical doctor. The other doc is probably a, some kind of scientist. Ah. That he, he has a doctorate in something, but no, like, I don't know what, and it didn't seem like he was doing the medical stuff, or at least he wasn't doing it well. Yes. So he, let's see. Uh, Richard Dysart plays Dr. Copper. He actually won an Emmy for his supporting role in L.A. Law. Okay. Yeah. That's probably where I remember him from. Yeah. Because I saw. Did he look It's familiar? funny, right? Because he looked familiar, but I couldn't, I didn't know where I knew him from. And I'm, it must be L.A. Law because I watched a lot of L.A. Law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He won an Emmy for his supporting role in that. Vance Norris. I didn't know his name was Vance. We, in the movie, they just refer to him as Norris. He's played by right. Charles Hallahan. And he, what is so funny is it, I didn't recognize, cause he's, this is 40 years ago, but right. you, he is familiar and he played Bill in the TV show, Grace Under Fire. Did you ever see that show? No, I never watched that. I did. I did. And I recognized him. I knew I was like, oh yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. There was another show. Oh, also, uh, the TV series Hunter, he played 
Captain Charles Devane on that. So that's, okay, I did watch Hunter. He was on that, but I don't remember him. <laughs> it's, there were a lot of people hard hard to recognize because I'm not used to seeing them young. Right. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was just looking at Richard Dysart and it's an older picture of him. Uh So I now I recognize him from L.A. Law. He was the head of the law firm. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay. That's. Yep. Okay. I know the pictures on IMDb are like older. Like they're. Yeah. Uh, Who do we have? Peter Maloney plays Bennings and he was in a ton of stuff, but I didn't recognize him. He's in like Summer of Sam. Requiem for a Dream and Private Parts that, oh, what's the guy, the radio host guy, that movie that he did in like 97? Shock the Jock. Shock yeah. Jock. That's good. I was just talking the name about is, him. Oh my God. I actually, mm. they, I like them because they're big into like Animal Rescue, North Shore Animal League. Howard Stern. Oh, Howard okay. Stern. Howard Stern. There we go. Thank took you. took me a minute. Because that was going to bug me for the rest of the day. I know. Day. I, my brain works the same way. <laughs> then rounding out the cast, Gary, who's like the cap, they refer to him as the captain. Like he's supposed to be the guy in charge. I think. Yeah. And he's played by Donald Moffat, who is very a familiar face. He's known for playing LBJ in The Right Stuff and also a president in Clear and Present Danger. So he plays presidents well, apparently. I feel like he's been in a few sitcoms because this is another guy whose face is very familiar. Very familiar. But I can't tell you where I've yeah. seen him. Those are the ones that I had heard of or I thought people would most connect with. Right. The music got shat on okay the score is done by ennio morricone i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly he okay he also composed on once upon a time in america the untouchables bugsy um and received several oscar nominations for those scores so he's like well known for being really good however he got a razzie nom for this movie the score in this movie what do you think about that i mean I didn't really pay that much attention to the music. Okay. It was, I mean, good for what it was. I mean, I didn't really give it much thought. I specifically was looking for it because I knew that he was well-known, but that this score got a Razzie. And so I was trying to like, I'm like, okay, let me see if that's, you know, that's warranted or not. I don't, I, it did feel like, I did feel like the music hit you over the head with it, but I feel like in this type of a movie, like it told us how to feel like it all were you know, but I liked it. I actually thought it was good music and I liked the cues. I actually really thought it was good. So I don't know what this Razzie right. is about. Anybody, yeah, I don't know either. Someone else. I mean, it's just us. there too. It's like, it's not super iconic. It's not like something that you're going to hum along when you're in the shower right. or something. Or it's not like you're going to hear a song from this soundtrack and think of this movie. You probably won't think anything of it at all, you know, or whatever. But I don't think it's, I don't know if I would give it a Razzie. Yeah. Maybe it was just, that was just the worst of that particular year. Oh, they're right? so, don't even get me started on the Razzies. <laughs> right. Because if you think about it, that like the movies you named, like E.T. came out that year. What was the other one? The Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. If you listen to that soundtrack, that is, that's a blood pumping soundtrack on that um, And then E.T. obviously is iconic. So when you compare like this okay. soundtrack, some of the other movies, then that's, I think that's what they're going Maybe. by. Maybe. I guess I, it was very typical uh, horror, like ominous. I don't know. I don't know if maybe they thought it was a bit much, but I liked it. I liked it. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. So if any listeners, I actually listen to a fair amount of podcasts 
that cover movies that I haven't seen. I don't know, but it kind of sometimes helps me determine whether or not I will watch the movie or not. So if you are one of those listeners that has not seen the thing, or if you haven't seen it in, I don't know, 40 years, the description, if you need this refresher, members of an American scientific research outpost in Antarctica find themselves battling a parasitic alien organism capable of perfectly imitating its victims. They soon discover that this task will be harder than they thought as they don't know which members of the team have already been assimilated and their paranoia threatens to tear them apart. So what did you think? Overall thoughts? Well, my overall thought was that it was starting like a lot slower than I anticipated, mm-hmm. right? So I thought that it was going to, it's going to start off. I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting. I think I expected it to move faster mm-hmm. in the beginning. Okay. So that, that was surprising. And then the other thing was that they introduced so many characters at the same time. You don't really get to sit with them and know them. So like you, I got confused like who, yeah. at, as to who was who. And then sometimes like when you see somebody who's familiar to you, but you can't picture, you can't place them right away. That can also be a distraction. So yeah. with some of the people that mm-hmm. we talked about that, that I've seen before, like the, the person who played now, what's his name? The, the one that, the comedian Nulls. that we talked about. Nulls. Yeah. Nulls. So that was a problem for me because it's like, I knew him, but I didn't know him from where. Yeah. So that was just, dis- that was distracting me from paying attention to the story. Uh, but that's a me problem. That's not the movie problem. <laughs> I know what you mean though. <laughs> um, so it started off slow, but it started, I guess the middle of the second act all the way to the third act. That's when it really started to pick up. And I, I got invested in the story but it took a while also the, the shooting the them trying to shoot the dog that was off <laughs> that was a little bit off-putting it's like why are they trying to shoot this dog like that's how the movie opens, opens with them trying to shoot the dog I'm pissed. and then right and, and also what's distracting is that there's there are two shots there are shots where it's like a wide shot you see the guy leaning out of a helicopter with a rifle but then when they do a point of view shot it looks like he's using a shotgun I'm like, so what is it? Is oh, he using a shotgun or is he using a rifle? I never would have picked it's like up these two that. guns. Yeah, these two guns don't look the same. <laughs> Fun fact, that guy is actually Kurt Russell's, I forget his name, but it's Kurt Russell's either father-in-law or brother-in-law. No, brother-in-law. Oh, okay. Brother-in-law, not father-in-law. It's okay. his brother-in-law. Yeah. I, the opening scene, as you mentioned, I said out loud, I'm watching with my dogs, by the way. <laughs> and I... My brain goes in so many, I don't know which point I want to start with first, but I'll start with, I said out loud, I'm like screaming at the TV, what are you doing? Why are you shooting at this dog? I'm like, oh, this is going to piss me off. Like immediately, I'm like, this movie's going to piss me off. But obviously there's a reason why they're shooting at this dog. Right, right. And it's like, it's not just, it's not like a must, like they're in the middle of Antarctica. uh, It's a husky just seemingly running on the ground is being chased by a helicopter. And they're shooting at Husky is like my favorite breed of dog. I never had a Husky, but I enjoy watching clips of uh, mm-hmm. Husky on YouTube or whatever. Huskies are beautiful, beautiful. dogs. And so the, he sh- he's shooting at this Husky. Is, I'm like, oh no, not the Husky. I know. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that he's so invested in shooting at this dog that he gets on the ground and he shoots the people. Uh, the Huskies rounded by. So yeah, he's yeah, really yeah. into shooting this dog. Because the team members, like the dog finally gets to like the camp. Aside from that, it's just like an open snow. Husky gets to the camp and they're like, what the, what is going on? And I also couldn't tell because they continually are shooting at this dog. And so since I know it's a horror, I'm like, 
are they hitting him and he's unfazed by it or are they missing? I wasn't sure which was true, but they continually shoot at this dog. Yeah, it definitely felt like to me like they were missing. (laughs) It's like they were really. Well, for one thing, shooting from a helicopter, the helicopter moving, the dog is moving. So this is going to be a very difficult shot. And they're not like professionals. They're scientists on a different research station. They happen to have firearms. And why they would have like a high-powered rifle in Antarctica where there are no predators that will require that type of gun. I don't know. But he apparently was not good at shooting the dog or anything at that matter. Like he was aiming for the dog and he he shot somebody in the leg. So he's not good. He's not good with the gun. No, well, because they're, as we find out, they are Norwegian researchers from another, like another outpost somewhere else. The other thing I was just going to note about, I, I assume people feel the same way. Tell me what you think. Whenever I see a dog in a movie, like opening, like an opening scene where there's a dog, any type of movie, and there's a dog, I'm like, uh-oh, I don't like this. That dog's going to die. Or something is happening to the dog. Because otherwise, there's no reason for us to be, oh, is this happy scene with this family and there's a dog? I'm like, mm, do you feel that way? No, I don't. No, I don't always. Because it's like, it could be the dog is like part of the cast. So I don't always feel that way. Okay. I don't get a sense of horror. Maybe if it's a horror movie. Or then, like yeah, a, it or might a, be something uh, happening with the like dog. A thriller or something. Yeah. But I'm always like, no, I don't like it. Yeah, they in a thriller, the dog is tends to be used as some kind of Chekhov's gun. Mm-hmm. So you see the dog in the first act and the second, and by the end of the movie, the dog solves the murder or has a key piece of evidence mm-hmm. or something like that. But I never really have a foreboding feeling about the a dog at first when they first show up. I always do. Oh. Like, even the comedy, even a comedy, Turner and Hooch, one of my favorites, because I love a dog de Bordeaux, the type of dog that's in that movie. Right, right, right. The dog dies. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, they might do something like the dog may die by the end of the movie. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that might happen. They they get the dog pulls your heartstrings and then it gets cancer. And they have to, uh, you know, euthanize the yeah. dog. I'm like, I don't want any part of this movie if there's a dog in it. Because I know it's about to happen. <laughs> now, speaking of this dog, um, let's see if I can find it. There is some trivia about that dog. Um, his name was Jed. The, yeah. His name is Jed. And he is actually half wolf, half Malamute. That's what kind of dog the dog is. Which Malamutes are very similar looking to Huskies. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. But this one mm. is actually half wolf. So actually... At first, when they're shooting, I actually wasn't sure. I'm like, is it maybe a wolf they're trying to kill? I don't know. But there's no wolves in Antarctica, so never mind. Right? There's no wolves in Antarctica. Right, right. Okay. It's pretty much only penguins, and I can't think of anything else as in Antarctica besides okay. penguins. Okay. <laughs> okay. So anyway, that's who Jed is. That's the dog. And actually, he's the that chase scene, the dog in the rest of the film is Jed, but the dog shown in the chase scene is not Jed. It's a different dog that they painted to look like Jed. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's I'm not funny. sure why, but yeah. I guess he couldn't run like that. Jed couldn't run like this dog. Maybe. Uh, but everybody was saying like that he was such a good like dog actor. Uh, I don't know. Uh, as right. far as dog actors go. Do you have any specific scenes that really stood out to you or that were your favorites? We already went over one of them, which is them chasing the dog and trying mm-hmm. to shoot it. And then I noted Wilford Brindley without the mustache. So that was a shocking scene. Oh my scene. God, we're the same. <laughs> oh, also, Kurt is calling. He's, he says, 
we got to talk to the Swedes. It's like, no, they're Norwegian. So it was, that was pretty funny, right? He kept doing it until near the end, he got it right. He would call them Norwegian. Um, The most shocking thing that that we had, they they came across one of the things and they had actually the whole thing. So it it was kind of weird how they was trying to determine who the thing was. Mm -hmm. But what was shocking was that they revealed the thing so early in the movie. So that, that was surprising. So, cause it's like, I've heard about the movie and I've heard without seeing it and I've heard so much about it that I've kind of had speculated what had happened okay. in it based on what I was told. Mm-hmm. So from what I knew about the movie, I thought you, it would be the kind of suspense thriller where you don't know who's the monster and you didn't see the monster till the very end, but you actually get to see the monster near the, near the beginning. And when they realize there's a monster imitating them and all this kind of stuff, that's when Kurt is in control and he ties everybody up and he's going to take everybody's blood. And he has a theory that the creature kind of separates. So whenever you take a piece of the creature apart from the main body, then the piece that you take of it is its own entity, Mm -hmm. right? So he draws a sample of blood from everybody and he's going to take a hot poker and poke the blood. And if the blood sample reacts to the blood, like tries to get away from the hot poker, then they know that the blood belonging to that person is the creature. Mm -hmm. So he's testing one by one and he finds one that reacts. And then the dude starts to, uh, what you call it, to change and transform and all this kind of stuff. So that was, so most of the parts of the the creature has been outed. I I like those parts. So there's that part. And then there's a part where, I don't know if it's the same dude, but he grows, the, the creature grows into a large size. And then like a dog head comes out of the body. And then they, they, the final, it's like they, the final one, the huge one, not final, final okay. one. Then Kurt Russell had to burn it, Yeah, but he missed the head, the head. I think the head got chopped off or, or one of its heads yeah, got yeah. chopped off and it grew crab legs and tried to get away. So that was it. Crab. I, that was pretty that impactful. It is the, it is crab. I wrote spider like, but crab is more apt, I think. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right. That. I liked all of those parts when they were interacting and then basically trying to figure out which one of them is the creature. Um, and then uh, I'm very impressed that they didn't kill off the black person in the beginning. Like neither one of them were killed in the beginning because that's kind of a trope of horror yeah, movies. Actually, so that one is of a good them, point. There's two black guys. They, they, they make it to the very end. They both, right. They both last at the very end. I was like, good on you, John Carpenter. I appreciate that. Good looking out. And then... Keith David was actually made it all the way to the end with Kurt Russell at the mm-hmm. end. And they're basically, presumably, they're going to both die from frostbite at the research station. That that was all of that with the finale and everything and how that turned out. Those are all really exciting scenes to, to watch. There were a fair amount. The different versions of it kind of taking over and what it looked like was interesting, kind of cool. You know, it was the practical effects. I did like that. Um, I now, while he might have been good with his portrayal of black men, there is not a single woman in this movie. Right, right. That's true. Um, but, but I think I don't think that there would have been women in an Antarctic research station in the 1980s. So, well, I can understand why he did put one there. That's kind of what I thought too. However, okay, this was technically a remake of a 1951 film and there was oh. a woman or maybe I, I haven't seen it um so somebody tell me if it's good the first one the 51 version but there's women in that and then the 2011 version which i haven't seen that either which now i might have to 
it is kind of both, as I understand it, both a prequel and a remake. And there's women in that. So come on, John Carpenter. Right, right, right. But I don't know if you want to watch the 2011 remake. I've seen and heard that it's not really okay well then i'll probably as remakes tend to be (laughs) right but i do kind of like a prequel i like that idea but yeah uh, yeah i loved the scene probably my favorite like takeover scene is when um they're trying to figure out who they think i forget who but they think somebody outside they think that he's turning that he's the thing and uh, what's his name? Norris. We're kind of shown like he's like out of breath and is, we're shown there's something going on with Norris. And then he like has a heart, like seemingly dot, like collapses and has a heart attack. So they bring him to like the medical area and Doc, Dr. Copper, is trying to resuscitate him with the, the whatever those things are called. The things you rub. Oh, the clear. Right, right. Those right. <laughs> those things. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot what those things, those electroshock things yeah, for the paddles, reviving a patient. What, anyway, so he's yeah, trying yeah. to revive Norris. And all of a sudden, Norris's whole abdomen opens up and it's now like a giant set of teeth and bites off Norris's arms. That was one of my favorite scenes. Right. That, scene. that, that was a pretty cool scene. I also like when they went to the other doctor that they had early decided to lock up because he had went crazy, started to hit people mm-hmm. with his rifle and what, or... He was hitting people, well, he's trying to shoot people with his pistol and then hitting people with an axe or whatever. He was destroying everything. He destroyed the helicopter. He destroyed one of the uh, the land vehicles. And so they had gathered him up and um, they put him in like a storage that was outside and locked him in a storage. Dr. What's his name? Blair. Blair? Blair. Dr. Blair. Mm-hmm. And that was played by Wilfred Brimley. So when they went, after a time, they went to Dr. Blair and he's like, I don't want to be in there no more. I want to be with everybody else. I'm all better now. I'm not going to hurt nobody. I like that scene so much. Well, <laughs> it's like, I'm all, he's like, you don't even sound better, man. You sound crazy. You don't even sound like you deserve to be among people. Well, he, I thought that was good in that because I didn't at first. He's the one that like figures out the computers, by the way, are pretty awesome. Like the 82 version of computers is awesome in this. Yeah. He's the one that finds out where like some computer programs like showing him how cells will like latch on and then it takes over like, how long it'll take for the whole world to be infected and it's not very long. So he I thought and I think we're supposed to at least think he's trying to like save the world. And so then he like gets his gun and puts himself away and he's ruining things like trying to get put away. He said that at least one or more of the staff or the crew members has it. But then later you're like, oh, he was the thing all along. And he knew that. And anyway, because he ends up uh, being the like giant thing at the end that they have to kill. Right, right. He was definitely one of the things because it's not just the one. It, I think the title is intentionally misleading. It is. So it's not just the one thing. It's a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Like Because every time a piece gets off, it, it becomes its own little things. So he was one of a bunch of things that was. But yeah, I think he was probably the main one. And I don't know if they absorbed each other, but he definitely became super large. Like he's super sized. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was extra big. Yeah. Yeah. So. What did you think about the ambiguous ending? There's a lot of chatter about it. So I was curious what. Yeah. yeah. So I like I've heard the chatter, like I said, before I heard 
the before I actually saw the movie. So I was under the impression that Kurt Russell was the only survivor, but it was Kurt Russell and David. So I was surprised at that. And then it's like that character was gone for a while. Childs was gone for a while. Yeah. And then he shows up in the end. And then it was like, uh, well, I guess we're just going to sit out here and freeze the death. I was like, I guess that's what we're going to do. <laughs> because the creature can, you know, it doesn't die. We just hibernate in the cold. Mm -hmm. so I didn't really consider it ambiguous because I'm not good with ambiguous endings. So I'll just take it out. If you're not going to explicitly tell me what happened, I'll just say, okay, I guess they both live and then they die. And they're both human. Mm -hmm. I'll take it as that. Because there are a lot of people saying, McClane, Kurt Russell, what's his character's name? I've been calling him Kurt this whole Mac, time. It Mac, was, yeah, I do the same. Yeah, it was one in the same. Kurt. It Mac. was right, right. So they're saying like it was Mac, and Mac is probably the thing. And so, like in, in a situation, they they speculate there could be a sequel. Is that where they transport back to a city, and then you know he infects the city or whatever? Mm -hmm. But and nobody ever says that Blair is the is the thing. They always mm -hmm. say that it's Mac. Oh, do you so, mean, do you mean uh, child? I mean, child. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought it was. So, I thought if, see, this is why the ambiguity, it, I don't love an ambiguous ending, but sometimes filmmakers will be like, well, it's what you think it is. And so everybody has a different yeah. level. I don't really love that. But right. I wasn't, I did not think for a second that it was Mac. I thought that it could, it is likely that Childs was a thing. Um, yeah. Many people have theorized about it. And a lot of the stuff that I was reading was about that, whether or not Childs was the thing. And right. they're saying, like, there's some evidence that the bottle of scotch wasn't really scotch. It was like a Molotov, whatever, like gasoline or something. And that he takes a drink of it and a human would know that it was gasoline and scotch. Or what, I don't know. And something about his earring, yeah. something about his earring and how that... <laughs> And then, yeah, to me, it's like if he was, a, if any one of them was the creature, they would have shot the last remaining person and gone into hibernation. It's like, because the creature doesn't wait around. It doesn't wait. A, it, if it thinks it's found out, then it takes action right away. So I don't think that either one of them was okay. the thing. It didn't feel, it, it would, it didn't feel that ambiguous to me. Oh, I understand that people have had their okay. theories. And these are people who have watched the movie over and yeah, over again. You find and this is just things. me. And, Right, right. But I'm just looking at it for the first time. And, and I'm like you, I'm not good with ambiguous ending. Like the best ambiguous ending that I've seen was in Inception. Oh, yeah. Is that the name of I, it? Yeah. Inception? Am I getting it right? I think so. And the, the, at the end of the movie, he has a like a spinning top thing and he spins the top and we don't know if we don't see if it falls over or yeah. not. So that's to me, that's a good ambiguous there are ending. Some, you're right. But it can be good. Right. Well, this. But this one, it's just like you said, it wasn't. It, explicit enough either way i didn't really feel the ambiguity of it well i when it was over i didn't there i had a feeling that i was like oh i didn't like that that's how it ended i guess and right. i was reading that there were multiple multiple alternate endings and some of them i was like oh that would have been better so carpenter himself has recognized the theory that childs is the thing right but he doesn't so he's recognized that's a thing, but he has said, but he doesn't think that either of them is the thing at the end of the movie. However, he's also said, so he's flip-flopping or some, I don't know, because when asked right, right, in right. another interview, when he's asked about it, he responded, 
that he could not understand how there could be any confusion about whether Childs or McCready are human or not, because the last scene, the last scene shows Kurt Russell and Keith David staring at each, staring each other down, harshly blacklit. It's completely glaringly obvious that Kurt Russell is breathing and Keith David is not. So that leads, so it's like, well, which is it, John Carpenter? Are they both human or is Childs the thing? When I watched it, I mm -hmm. want to believe that they're both human. That's what I wanted to believe. But I could also see Childs not being human. And here's the thing. There was never a thing in the movie where they're saying, well, if it's a thing, it's not going to breathe. Like if it takes over your human body, it's yeah. not going to breathe. They never actually. That's true. That was never a, a, an element. Yeah. Right. It wasn't an element in the movie. It was like they said that if it imitates you, it's a perfect imitation. Right. Good point. So there's no way that you can tell until it reveals itself. And and that's what normally happened in the movies that it revealed itself. You know, it's I could see all of the speculation going on, but to me it wasn't ambiguous enough. Okay. Some of the other alternative endings we have one is that McCready was rescued by civilization and passes a blood test that somehow that government knows needs to happen. Uh, right, right, yeah. right. That's not a good one. That's not, the, there, was an, uh, there was another one where they showed a Malamute, presumably the thing, surviving the explosion, stopping to take one final look at the burning camp before running off into the snow. I like that. I like that. A third yeah. simply showed Childs getting up, walking away into the snowstorm, leaving McCready to perish alone. Which, yeah, that would kind of go in favor of Childs being the thing. Anyway. And another yeah. was that they committed suicide with a stick of dynamite, which I also buy. I would do, if I were them, that's what I would do. Yeah. I wouldn't want to like freeze to that. Yeah, that doesn't sound. Well, actually, I think what happens when you freeze to death, you start losing feeling in your extremities anyway. Oh, so okay. it probably wouldn't feel anything. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I See, I'm in a camp where I prefer not to die, so I don't want to choose my method of death. So I don't, I wouldn't want to be faced with, well, how do you want to go? You want to stick a dynamite? Or you want to just sit out here and freeze it up? I don't want any of those. I don't either. I, can but we, if, is there an option if, C? Yeah, I guess. So I am such an avoider of pain that if I know I'm going to eventually die and it's going to be a gruesome, long, drawn out pain, like, I'm like, mm, give me the image, like, kill me now. I want that kind of a, yeah. yeah. Now, apparently, it has become tradition in British Antarctic research stations to watch the thing as part of their midwinter feast and celebration every June 21st. Did you know that? No, that's fun. Uh, Kurt Russell, somewhere, we haven't really talked about him much, but his, it is a young, it is a young Kurt Russell, but he's got long hair and a long beard. And he, that's his actual hair and beard that it took him over a year to grow for this movie. Oh, that's nice. He grew it specifically for the movie. That's pretty nice. Yeah, he and John Carpenter, I think he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I love casting what ifs, like various. So bear with me if you have a few minutes to talk about some potential different cast. So McCready, they did not want Kurt Russell, like the studio. They wanted somebody much more like well, well known, like Nick, they wanted like Nick Nolte. Jeff Bridges, Tom Berenger, Christopher Walken. Actually, that would have been great. Scott Glenn, Roy Scheider, Chris Christopherson, Jack, Sam Shepard, Jack Thompson, Tom Atkins, and Don Johnson. All of those dudes were considered for Mac. 
And I guess the screenwriter, Bill Lancaster, he wrote the script with either Harrison Ford or Clint Eastwood in mind. Like none of those guys wanted it. Like, cause like horror is down upon, it seems like. And same with action for like an A-lister wouldn't demean themselves to do a horror movie seemingly. So somebody who was like legitimately wanting to do it was a newcomer, Fred Ward. Remember him? He was in a lot of Christopher Guest comedies, like Wag, uh, Best in the Show. The name you'll, you'll, You totally know who he is. Right, right, um, right, right. But he wasn't well-known. Like, apparently he wasn't well-known enough for the studio. So Kurt Russell apparently was hired as a last resort effort by recommendation from Carpenter. But they didn't think he, they were very skeptical because they thought he was too young and pretty to play such a rugged and brawny McCready. So that's maybe why he did the beard and whatnot. But he is pretty and he was young and his eyes, boy, those Kurt Russell eyes, just, I don't know, there's something about him. And you notice them a lot in this movie because you can't really see the rest of his face. Right. Could you see anybody else in this? Did you like Kurt for this role? Or could you see any of those other guys? Many of them would have done a fine job. It's, I don't see McCready as having a particularly like defining right. characteristic. Aside from his alcoholism? It's not, it's a, he's a, right. I mean, he's a, and they were all seen to be, they liked it. They liked the yeah. liquor. And I think that he just has a good, like, everyman yeah. persona. And I think most of the people that you mentioned has a good, Everyman persona, like Harrison Ford or Clint Eastwood, they, they all have a good, like, regular guy type everyman aesthetic. So yeah. I think that either one of those actors would have done a fine job with the role. I agree. I could see just a lot of those. That, I could actually see most of those. Not Don Johnson. I don't think, yeah. not Don Johnson, but Christopher Walken is one I would have loved to see, but he's not an everyman. He has a very specificness to him, but that would have been interesting. But I love Kurt. I right. Love Kurt. I think, right. Well, Christopher Walken has a kind of ruggedness to him. So I think he can affect mm -hmm. a rugged character. And you're right. Don Johnson is the weakest one of, of the entire group that, that you mentioned. But I, he could probably pull it off. He could, he could probably. He's an actor. I expect actors to know yeah. how to act. So I, I figured that hey, he could. how about that? <laughs> it's, that's the thing about when people are fan casting. They're like, well, I don't see him in his role because. You know, they don't have red hair. And I'm like, well, they can dye their heads exactly. red. That's what they do. That's what makeup is for. <laughs> yeah, that's such a dumb, no kidding. Agreed. Yeah, I see a lot of that a lot when people are fan casting. But in this specific role, I don't really feel like there's a specific enough characteristic that Kurt Russell brings that it could only be him to this particular character. Mm -hmm. I also remember that Kurt Russell was had screen tested for Han Solo in Star Wars. Oh. And that would have looked good. I, I wouldn't have mind Ooh. seeing Kurt Russell as Han Solo. Is Han Solo that would have worked as uh, well. Harrison Ford. Okay. Yes, that's Harrison Ford eventually took that character. They weren't even really looking at him as taking that role. They only really brought him on to read lines off against the other okay. actors they were casting. He would have been a little as like young, Luke Skywalker, right? Princess Leia. No. No, I think they're around okay, the same okay. age. Kurt Russell and Harrison Ford because he was a lot younger. I think maybe he was maybe he's a, like a little bit younger. Maybe he's like twenty nine and Harrison Ford was like thirty three or something it. like that. Not, but yeah. not that. Not they're around Similar. the same age, I believe. Okay, yeah. So some other ones. So for the Gary role, like the captain guy, 
apparently yeah. alternates Lee Van Cleef and Isaac Hayes, that would have been different, were considered since John Carpenter had just worked with them on Escape from New York in 1981. Right. Isaac Hayes also was considered for the child's role. Same with mm. Bernie Casey, Jeffrey Holder, Ernie Hudson, and Carl Weathers. Right, right. He was going through all of his favorite black actors. <laughs> he was. Now, I, I do like Carl Weathers, but I don't know. I don't see him for this. What's surprising to me was that I used to think that Carl Weathers wasn't an actor. Like he was kind of some dude that they found to, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. I guess because I never really watched Rocky. It's like I sort of kind of was lazy through it. So I did the uh, movie Rocky have to, on, on We're going to my... have to remedy that. So. Yeah. No, here's, <laughs> here's what happened. Here's what happened. I, I knew of Rocky. I always thought that I watched Rocky. But as it turns out, I had not watched Rocky. And then I did Rocky for the podcast. Yeah. And I watched Carl Weathers. It's like, oh, he really can act. He really is an actor. As a matter of fact, Carl Weathers would complain about Sylvester Stallone's mm -hmm. acting. That's what he was. Yeah. He was like, can you give me a real yeah. actor? Wait. Yeah. Yeah. He would say, could you give me a real actor? Because I was like, oh, he really is an actor. Mm -hmm. And now I see he's in Star Wars oh, right. in The Mandalorian. And he plays a character there. And you really get to see his acting chops in The Mandalorian more so than you got to see in earlier movies. And it's a shame. It could, I feel like you didn't really see enough of him. Right. As many of the other actors like Isaac Hayes and Bernie uh, Casey. K is it Casey Bernie? I can't Bernie remember Casey. his name. <laughs> Bernie yeah. Casey. I feel like I've seen a, those actors a lot more than I've seen, you know, Apollo Same. Creed. Same. I mean, because he was Apollo Creed. Like, it's hard to. He was in Predator. Uh, but yeah. Then, yeah. He yeah. was in Predator. It, it, I feel like it's really hard if you're like an iconic character in a movie. It's kind of hard to branch out of that. But right. uh, Brian Dunahee was also considered for the role of Dr. Copper. And Richard Masur turned down a role in E.T. to do this movie. <laughs> and so he's probably totally kicking himself. <laughs> yes. Was actually filmed in L.A. With the final shooting taking place in northern British Columbia. And the town, Stewart. The town of Stewart was chosen as a main location because it apparently is considered the snowfall capital of North America. And the sound effects of the Antarctic wind was recorded actually in the desert outside of Palm Springs. I thought that was interesting. Ah, mm -hmm. yeah, that is. Now, Entertainment Weekly ranked, ranked this as the 12th scariest movie of all time. Do you agree? What do you think about that? Well, I'm not a proper judge because, as I said, I don't watch a whole bunch of horror movies. I mean, it was, it was somewhat thrilling. But I don't know that it could be. It's probably not the scariest movie that most people have ever seen. Yeah, I kind of thought like so I said, too. I am not. Right, right, right. I'm not the guy to judge these things, though. You have to ask a horror movie. That's enthusiast. true. That is fair. So those of you who are super into horror, let me know like how you think the thing, uh, you know, where it is in your rankings of horror movies. I enjoyed it. I was not super scared uh, at all. I did like the effects. Um, maybe like, again, some of it might be us watching it now. But if we had watched it when we were like a kid in the 80s or something, apparently John Carpenter's next project after this was supposed to be 1984's Firestarter. But he lost that gig 
because the thing did so poorly at the box office. Ah, it's got to hurt. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Well, okay. So the thing is a major departure from the movies that we've covered so far on Retromade with Kurt and Patrick. So I'd say it was a fun change of scenery. And while I very much want to visit Antarctica, like legit want to do one of those Antarctica voyages, I definitely don't want to go to escape the thing. So we now return to present day reality until the next Retromate episode. Zoe, such a pleasure. This was so much fun talking about 1982 with you and the interesting journey um, that the thing was for both of us. Do you have any closing thoughts or places that we can find you? Well, my closing thoughts as to the thing, it's a movie that you asked me what movies I want to watch. I was like, well, let me watch the thing since I've never seen it. People have always talked about it. And I've never got to see it. So I'm glad that I got to see it because now I can, uh, now I understand the movie that so many people were talking about when they talk about watching Mm -hmm. the thing. So that is, I'm glad that I was able to watch it. So thank you for that invitation. And as far as where people can find me, you can find me at the website at backlickcinema.com. That's where I have all of my links and whatnot. And Specifically, my Twitter slash TikTok is at Backlick Cinema. Now, not a lot of stuff on TikTok right now, but now that I'm ramping the podcast up, I'm going to start doing some Ooh, original content for TikTok, fun. at least for as long as the government allows yeah. it. Also. <laughs> yeah. And what's Twitter these days? What, is it even a thing? I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Because- Nothing. It's still around. It's still. Can- what are the other places they can find me? Facebook and IG, mm-hmm. you can find me on Backlick Cinema Podcast. And also I have a Threads account, which is connected to the IG account. So that's also at Backlick Dang, Cinema you even have Podcast. a Threads account? Look at you. Uh, yeah, just uh, jumping on all the new ones. <laughs> For most people, a Threads account is just a backup in case Twitter goes mm-hmm. down. Awesome. Well, I think that if anybody likes Retromade, I'm assuming if you're listening or watching to this right now, you'll also like Backlick Cinema. And I'm very excited for some of the new episodes that you have on the horizon. And thank you all for listening or watching. Please give us a rating and a review. Keep those YouTube likes and comments coming. It really is helpful for other people finding the show. So reviews and commenting and liking, all that stuff is very helpful. You can also, as I mentioned earlier, if you want to send me an email, uh, you can do that. Uh, Send it to retromadepodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, be kind. Rewind.